Hi, Chris. How are you? Yeah, good evening, Rod. All is well. And look, it's daylight in the shed. And it's, we're recording at the same time. <laughs> the joys of British summertime. Yeah. Well, where are you at on the spectrum of clock changes? Uh, it's about 10 past seven, I think. I've got that far. No, but you four against the moving of the hour because it's quite controversial. I think I've had it all my life. It doesn't particularly bother me. I think you and I are in agreement here. I'm kind of the same. I've had it for the last 40 years. I can go for another 40. Yeah, it makes no difference to me. I do understand the logic and, and being a Scottish person, I, I you know, I, I meant to be completely behind it because of, you know, it's terrible when the children walk to school. It's terrible when the children walk back from school. If you look for reasons, it's all a bit random really as to the various reasons we change clocks back and forth. But it is what it is. Yep, I'm with you, actually. So I think you and I are in agreement. So uh, it's what, episode 62 and it's the 27th of March, 2023. Yep, we'll be in April next week. Should we get into it? Let's do it. So I've got a minor bit of follow-up. I was debating getting a new webcam for down here in the shed because you were complaining about the quality of my camera. And I thought, you know what? I could deal with this and go and buy a 4K camera. So question, should I? And if I should, what should I get? Or should I just use my iPhone? That's a very good question. I think there are pros and cons to both. There are a number of quite interesting webcams. I think Marquez Brownlee did a, a, a whole review on them recently. He did five or six, including some new clever ones that will sort of pop up and track you around the room as you go and all that kind of stuff. So you're spending some money on them. I don't want to spend a little bit of money. Like I don't want to buy something and go, oh, I should have got a bit better quality. And I do like a Marcus Brownlee video, so maybe I should go away and have a look. And I know I've just sprung this question on you, but I just thought it might just be an interesting talking point for a couple of minutes. Yeah. It is. For me, I've tried a variety of webcams, so I've got the utterly terrible one built into my monitor here, my Philips widescreen monitor, which is the worst webcam in the world. If it's 180p, I would be surprised, frankly. I look like the character from Scream going, working my way through a load of static as soon as I turn off. So that was dreadful, and I stopped using it instantly. But it is built into the screen. It's always there. Although, interestingly, it sort of recesses back into the top of the screen, which I thought would disconnect the camera as well. But no, no, if you switch to the camera input, it's looking straight up, which is just dumb. Oh, really? It's what I've seen those in other monitors. I mean, I'm sure it's not as bad as the one in my studio display, which is famously bad. So I was looking at the Logitech Brio because I do like my Logitech peripherals. I've got the MX keyboard. I've got the MX mouse. And I thought Logitech make good stuff. And they do a Brio. And they did one that was just for the studio, the Pro Display XDR, which is Apple's really expensive display. And it will sit on the top and it's magnetic and it's got all the cables and the angles. But I'm not sure if that one will fit mine and they're very expensive. And I'm not sure... Logitech are making them. So then they do another one that is looks very similar hardware-wise, but has a different plastic mount. And I thought, well, maybe that's the one for me. And that's kind of as far as I got with it, but it was about £160. And I thought, do I want to spend that much on it or not? And I kind of do like that it's built in monitor and I haven't got an extra thing. But that's as far as I've got with it. I just wondered what your thoughts were, whether you think it's worth investing or actually should I embrace using my iPhone? It just annoys me that it then flattens my iPhone battery. Yeah, I've embraced the iPhone. I was going to tell you about I went through the Logitech piece. If you listen to Mike Hurley on the Upgrade podcast, he has all sorts of troubles with Logitech webcams, and it was fine. I think I would say my Logitech 1080p camera was probably similar to your experience of your camera and your studio display. I didn't get on very well with any of them. When I settled, and I was using Camo Studio, which is a brilliant bit of software, which came out around the time of the first lockdown, 
which would let you connect your iPhone to it, or any iPhone, it didn't have to be your iPhone if you had an old one lying around in a cupboard somewhere. You connected it with the cable, you had to have the Camo app running, and then it gave you lots of controls. You could mess with the frequency so you didn't get flicker. There was all sorts of things. And I believe Camo have just updated to a later version, which actually supports syncing your, your iPhone wirelessly with it as well, making use of Apple's stuff. I'm quite happy with the Chris just changed view on the on his webcam on the on, on the on the feed there, which knocked me out slightly. But yeah, I'm I'm quite happy with the camera mode on my iPhone. It's good enough. Buying the right mount was the hardest thing. I've talked about this here before. I keep now the laptop one in my bag when I go out and about. I'm actually quite happy to use the webcam on the on the Mac on my Mac my MacBook Pro when I'm using a webcam. I don't feel I need that. But when I'm in clamshell mode, I want a webcam. And I think that's not all the time. The iPhone's good enough for that. Chances are you've got, although you are quite good at shifting on your old Apple products, if you have got another camera iPhone lying around, it's not a bad shout just to leave one plugged in with a wire on top of your screen on the on the mount and off you go. And I gotta say, we've talked about this before. My iPhone gives a really good picture. You're not the only person who's commented that the picture that it gives, particularly on Zoom, which we use for our, for the podcast here, it gives you an HD mode and it looks particularly good on that. I think you, so, so while you were talking, I did change camera. I thought, you know what? I should just plug in my iPhone now so it charges and flip it around so I don't fiddle with it while we're podcasting, which is a, is a feature, I think, of continuity camera. You can't use your iPhone while you're using it. But I thought, you know what? I should probably just put it on now and try it and the picture quality even in my preview is a thousand times better i'm still very white and pasty but that's just my complexion so ash i think you've convinced me and what i should do rather than spending 100 however many pounds i should just go and buy the magsafe adapter to stick on the top of my monitor job done so yeah. that's what i'm going to do 40 quid it works quite well. It's designed to fit your screen as well as almost all other screens. It's got a wide enough range of motion on it that it sits nicely. I think that's not a bad show. And it saves you 160 quid at least on a another camera. Yeah, and something else to update and plug in and manage and cables. So I think you, you have you, you've convinced me that I've got the camera. And also, when I buy my next iPhone, it will get better every year. Whereas if I buy a fixed one, it isn't going to improve until I buy another one. And for the amount I use it, that's probably the right amount of money to spend. And someone is bound to bring along a mount for the top of your screen that will actually give you MagSafe charging as well as it being a magnet on top of it eventually. For the moment, this Belkin thing is fine. Fine. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm literally going on the net. Oh, they've sold out. That's annoying. Well, yes. I'm glad I grabbed it when I did. I got halfway there. Well, that's something. You, you at least looked. There are other options, and it was interesting, the camo product that I was talking about, when they introduced it, they had a whole list of things you could do to, to mount your iPhone somewhere on your screen. None of them are ideal. There's a few things on Amazon. They're all rubbish. I just wait for the Belkin thing. You know what, though? It is in store near a place where I'm going on Wednesday. That's just dumb luck. Done. And out of all the ones that is not in store, it's literally everywhere in the country, but the one in Birmingham, it's there. So that's what I'm going to do. Should we move on? Let's move on. That, that was interesting. I quite enjoyed that. So into the news then. So we've got first up some more Twitter news. Twitter's not really been in the news much, actually, for, for a couple of weeks for us. They've managed Either to go... Or, or, or we've ignored it. Well, no, we had the poop story from last week. If you if you tw- if you tw- tweeted help or PR at Twitter, you got the poop emoji back, didn't you? But this is a story specifically about Twitter's source code being linked on, leaked online. Yeah, how bad is this? So somebody has posted to GitHub some Twitter source code. I haven't looked too much into it, but a interesting that somebody's done it. B probably not that surprised when I really think about how many people Twitter as a company is annoyed, but it can be very bad for them because obviously if somebody trawls through that code. 
they could look for vulnerabilities they could steal some of it and create a, a twitter clone if there's some really clever stuff going on in there very interesting what do you make of it it is interesting. I have read a thing that supposes it's somebody who was actually, as when the layoffs were going on, this first round of layoffs, that they posted this to GitHub. For those that aren't familiar, GitHub is a, a place you can store your source code. It's got version control and all that stuff. You can make them private or public. Lots of companies and agencies put out stuff on GitHub so the code is accessible to them. You can build your own projects. We've talked about it in passing here before with Chris trying out some stuff last week and me trying out things before that. This is interesting. If you wanted to replicate Twitter, this would be quite good, quite a good way of doing it, wouldn't it? If you've got their entire source code, then it would be there. My second thought about this is, Elon said he was going to open source. I think one of the algorithms, you know, the suggested follows algorithm or something, was meant to be open sourced by Twitter at some point, and he's ignored that ever since. So it could be a little bit of an open source advocate going, right, I'll show you, or a disgruntled employee, I would have thought. Yeah, it's, I'm fairly comfortable it's a disgruntled employee. I mean, I'm amazed it hasn't happened before because there must be so many disgruntled employees. So I'm not surprised. Obviously, they've had the code taken down now. But I wonder how many people had a look at it before it got taken down. Well, it had been there for months, apparently. So I'm sure quite a few people had downloaded the entire repo and were having a problem. Yeah, and I get. I guess though as a business, it's not something you really police that much, is it, that you know, I need to check whether our source code is out. You know, is that something companies look for probably? They're, they're probably not geared up to do it or have alerts when, when they see posting. Yeah, it's easily done. And it seemed to me that the people who really knew what they were doing at Twitter were part of the layoffs. They were the people who got fired straight away. Maybe they wouldn't know what was going on. Maybe one of them was the password to some Mac Mini that's sitting in a, in a cupboard somewhere that's actually running some essential part of their infrastructure. So I'm not surprised this was posted and not found. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm not that surprised, I guess, overall. But it is what it is. But did you also see in the news, Twitter-related, that Elon's apparently telling employees that the company is worth half what it was when he bought it? Yeah, what a spectacular businessman he is. I wonder who he's blaming for the loss of value in that in that business. But I think there's only one person to blame in this. Elon doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's, that sort of fronts up and takes the blame for taking a $44 billion company and turning it into a $22 billion company in a period of, what, four months, five months? Yeah, it's about four, maybe it is getting towards five months now. It's impressive either way. Yeah. Anyway, I think we'll we'll leave him to destroy a once great thing and, and move along. Next story is we've, something we've talked about before with the iPhone 14 in America, at least. You could only buy an eSIM variant of it. Apparently, more countries are going to ditch the physical SIM card this year. So if you're living in a country that Apple feels is up to the task, eSIM's only for you. Yeah, and where are you at with this? Because I'm I'm not surprised they're going to roll out more. It's typical Apple. You know, they first get rid of USB ports, be, be aggressive with it. Obviously, with the MacBook Pro, they got it very wrong. They took lots of ports away, and they've actually had to, you know, take a backward step. So I'm not surprised they're going to do this to more countries. I think it makes sense. Why have we still got SIM cards? So I'm on board with it. I actually moved over to use an eSIM when I got my iPhone 14 Pro this year. I thought, you know what, I'm going to dog food it and try it out. And it was actually fairly straightforward to, you know, I put my SIM card in the iPhone 14. I said, move it to an eSIM. I can't remember the exact process now. And so I'm, I'm on this wagon. I have no idea whether I'm going to regret it or love what I've done, but I will have to wait until I get my next iPhone to find out what the migration path's like. But my kind of view on it was if they're going eSIM only now, there's got to be a good migration path so i'm there how about you 
I'm not there. And unless the carriers that I'm with sort of pull their fingers out fairly rapidly, I'm not likely to be there anytime soon. Because again, as we've talked about previously in this podcast, it's only the big carriers of eSIMs. So even three has paused the rollout of their eSIMs in the UK, which is one of the major networks. So if you're an EE, Vodafone or O2, they're still called O2, I had to check that mentally in my head. You can have an eSIM, great, more power to you to crack on, but not if you're on three, which is a large network. And then none of the MVNOs, so any of the sort of sub-brands, Tesco Mobile, GifGaf, Smarty, Voxy, others, will allow you to have an eSIM. Which is bizarre. So I'm with E, so obviously it's quite straightforward. My wife's actually with O2. I haven't dared to move her onto an eSIM yet because I thought, I don't want to face any of this pain. Interestingly, O2 have merged with Virgin, but I don't really know what that means because it doesn't seem to have changed anything from what, what I've seen from her bills and, and everything. It is interesting to see how it goes, though. I wonder, does it make anything quicker or more reliable because you're moving a you know a 30-year-old technology out of your phone? I don't know. It's amazing that SIM cards have lasted so long. I don't think it does. It's just a convenience thing so they can save a bit of space in the phone and ultimately stick a bit more battery or something in there, isn't it? Yeah, because obviously they get you take up some space. So I'm in, I'm interested to see what they, where they go with it, but I'm guessing they can't really make the most of the space until they're shipping a phone that's got no SIM cards in it anywhere in the world because they're probably not going to really have local variants unless I guess the markets are big enough in the countries where they don't ship SIM card modules and therefore they do make a, a slightly different phone. But I can't see them doing it in the in the, at the scale they're at. No, I agree. And the American variant, which is the only one the eSIM at the moment, has some sort of rubber spacer in the phone for where the SIM card tray should be. So that's what they'll do until they can go eSIM everywhere. This just feels like a bit of... I guess they're trying to force the market along so there will be more eSIMs if, if Apple are supporting it. They're not going to get very far by themselves with that in, in some ways. So many people want two SIM cards in their phone, you know, when they're on holiday for their business network, whatever it is. And of course, it can support two eSIMs. Presumably, it can support more than two eSIMs maybe or 10 eSIMs or however many it supports but it, I, I think in, in particularly in Asian markets they're really going to struggle with this no I think it's up to eight eSIMs so it's actually much better than the previous SIM technology so there is a benefit to it I've never used a multi-SIM phone so I can't really comment and I do so and I still have a physical SIM in my iPad and I because it's a work one and I do, but I do quite like the way they've they forced it on the Apple watch to begin with from day one and I think that was a smart smart decision I, I disagree because I've never been able to use any of my Apple Watches with a SIM because none of the networks I've been on have ever supported it, ever. So even though I'm rocking my Apple Watch Ultra here with its SIM technology, it's no good to me. I hadn't thought about that. I'm sorry. I, I'd completely missed that. Yep. And it was the case back in the day with all the Apple Watches I've had. When I, when I have bought them with the GSM, none of them have ever worked. Pointless. Well, I'm rocking a cellular one with a SIM card in it and it's fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad you're getting the use of it. You're probably paying more for that too, though. Yeah, I'm paying about, I think it's about £8 a month in the UK. Extra. Extra on top. I'll pay about £20 for my SIM card in my other phone. So my Smarty deal is £12 a month for 120 gigs of data. That's 75% of the cost of my entire plan just on your phone, on your watch. Yeah, and you're getting the same data I'm getting overall. Anyway, should we move on? Because you just make me sad. <laughs> well, I'm sad I can't use my sophisticated eSIM and my Apple Watch. Moving on. Have you heard of the product Notion? I've heard of Notion. I've never really used it. I did have a, a binge on it a little while ago when I was trying out different note-taking apps, and I realized I just want a pen and paper and ended up with field notes and a pen. So I have tried Notion, didn't really get with it. How about you? 
I have tried it, and in fact, it's one of the things I was suggesting as part of our collaborative notes on this podcast is that maybe we should try Notion. And then we found, I found the thing in my Synology, and we've settled down on that. But lots of groups, teams make use of Notion for their sort of collaborative development of things. I only just discovered last week, actually, that our own internal developers in the university have a Notion notebook shared between them all in which they develop you know, fairly serious code for the various applications. Obviously not passwords and things like that, but sort of sketching out ideas, documentation, you know, code snippets, that kind of stuff go into Notion. They've got various projects. That's the use of it. I'm also familiar with fellow researchers in Sweden who make use of Notion for writing all their all the papers that they're putting into peer-reviewed journals so they can all collaborate and reference. And it supports markdown and it supports statuses of what stage a project is at or if it's got a dependency and you're waiting on someone, you can sort of name and shame them in the notebook. So all that stuff's quite good. What's that got to do with this story? Well, as usual for Microsoft, they've copied Notion and they've now about to release or have released it in a sort of fairly limited beta, Microsoft Loop, which is a Notion copy. Yep, so I actually saw this article on The Verge before you put in the notes. I installed it, I logged in my work account, I messaged my IT team and said, why can't I use this? It, Apparently we we had it disabled on our tenancy. I asked them to enable it. I've got in, I've used it. The app's absolutely rubbish. It looks awful. It's just really basic. It's just, I don't know if the iOS platform was just thought of afterwards. It wasn't appearing in our, in our web apps yet, because I guess it takes time to filter through. There's no iPad version for it. So I was just, a bit, and, and I know it's only a public preview, but I was a bit disappointed with it in that there's just nothing really there. The, the, app, the app's just not really engaging. It's just empty and then you make a page and it's empty and everything's hidden i just it was really disappointing app experience if i'm honest it's literally like they hadn't tried on ios oh i'm glad you had a look at it at least but that's not great is it if you're trying to bring people over it feels like slack to me when they copied slack and they made teams slack was there it was extant beforehand and they went oh we'll do that and then they iterated quite rapidly and i've just noticed actually that there's a newer version of teams coming which is a lot faster it's built on angular it's not built on electron etc etc teams has got very slowly, better over time. But this is a very, seems to me from what you said, a very typical Microsoft 0.1 product where it's empty, but they'll iterate quite rapidly. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. I think it is empty. Teams agreed massively has come on leaps and bounds in the last year, the picture and picture. They've reorganized the app. It works fantastic now on the iPad. Where I was looking at with Loop was this would be great. Something we could give to all our users because we're all Microsoft at work. We've all got the right licensing. And I was like, this would be great. You know, a way of people staying within the corporate apps that we own without them going off and buying subscriptions to other things. So I'm glad Microsoft's doing it for the corporate space, but massively disappointed with what they've demoed so far. So I'm hoping that it'll get better. But so far, I haven't seen a new building test flight in 20 days. So fingers crossed. The edges of these things are getting a bit blurry for me. If you remember, do you remember the product Google Wave back in the day? No. no. So Google Wave was meant to be a collaborative documents editor. I think the guts of which eventually ended up more in Google Doc than Wave, mostly because Wave couldn't cope with really big files and all sorts of things. But it was this. You had notes, you had projects, you had all this kind of stuff ongoing. And where does Loop finish, Teams begin, the collaborative elements of Word finish, Loop begin? You know what I mean? It's all getting a bit blurry around, no, we need to put chat into this, we need to put G chat GPT into this, we need to put you know, a link to Word or something into OneNote or, or whatever the thing is that within it. I, I, not to get feel it sound too old-fashioned, but I actually quite like in many ways the old Linux days where you had one app that was good at one thing. And 
collaborative editing is definitely helpful. We've certainly found it helpful in our notes here and, and on other documents that I've worked on. But there's just there's, it's like they're trying to cram too much into the box for me. Kind of with you there. And they've already done that with the Office app on iPad and iPhone, where it's Word, PowerPoint, and Excel in a one And you can open up the different types of documents. I'm amazed Loop isn't just inside that. I don't get why they've then made another app. So I don't disagree with, with that statement that one app to do something really well. I was just curious to see Loop to see what it's like. I mean, we, we have been joking at work. At what point are we just going to boot into Teams and Teams just becomes our replacement for Windows? Because it's going to be your launcher into everything because they seem to be cramming everything in. I think what Loop brings, though, is potentially that way of more having the, the pages thing and you can bring in content from other other places, but a lot more interactive, a bit SharePoint-esque, I guess, but maybe less, less technical. Anyway, uh, I yeah. think they've got a long way to go. It's good they're doing it. For me, from a corporate space, because I don't want people in with my corporate IT hat off, going off and setting up Notion subscriptions outside of work. So, so that's where I fall on it. But I think they've got a long way to go. And th- what, four years into Teams now? where Maybe we'll check back in in four years to see what Loop looks like. Fair enough. I mean, you've just described OneNote to me, I think, with collaborative notes and documents and pasting things in. Do you know what, though? OneNote was fantastic and still is, but it just moves at a glacial pace. They, they, they had something really good there, but they just stopped at a certain point about four years ago they just stopped and they should have carried on i'm very much in danger and go down a rat hole but i think it's because they got dominance in that space when evernote was pushing them really hard they were making innovative note-taking platform evernote went away one note didn't need to innovate sits and crumbles i think that's fair evernote literally fell off a cliff overnight didn't it yeah totally subscription model i think is what killed them yeah, you're probably right. Good. Okay, moving on, and a very quick one. This, When we put the story in the show notes, it was for the iOS 16.4 beta. There was a leak within it that hinted at new AirPods with a new charging case and potentially new Beats headphones too. iOS 16.4 has now released about an hour before we recorded the podcast. I set my phone downloading it before we, pod- we started podcasting, so I fully suspect my camera will cut out when my phone reboots at some point. We'll see how we go. But this is just vaguely interesting, I suppose. USB-C is coming everywhere. Beats needs updating with a new Apple hotness inside the for Apple H1 chips or whatever they are. I think that's about it, yeah? Yeah, I, I think what they were referencing was for the AirPods Pro that we have, you might actually be able to get a USB-C case. So we may be able to just swap the case out, keep the AirPods, which I quite like the sound of in, in one way, in that I don't need to buy another pair of AirPods. But apparently they weren't going to do it for the AirPods 3. But I would imagine over the next... I don't know, insert a number here, what, 18 months that we'll probably see new keyboards, new mice, and knowing Apple, it will still be the same Magic Mouse that we had, I don't know, seven years ago, whenever it came out, but it would just have a USB-C connector. So I think they're going to start moving on that train now. I think Lightning is definitely on the way out. I charge my AirPods with my Apple Watch charger. Yeah, I've still, that doesn't compute in my mind. I do wish, and I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, why can't my Apple Watch charge on MagSafe? Why can't MagSafe be the thing that charges everything? Please. It, it makes no sense to me. And my final thought about charging with USB-C on the Magic Mouse is as long as they move the charge connector to off the bottom of the mouse so you can actually use the mouse and it's not like a speared turtle or something when you need to charge it, it's the most infuriating thing. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Also, Apple class Music Classical's out tomorrow, or if you're in Australia, it's out right now because you're already on tomorrow. The only thing I was thinking about Apple Music Classical just a very side, brief sideline is it's rumoured not to have an iPad app or a Mac app, which I think is wrong. I wonder if it would have a CarPlay app because I can use Apple Music in my car. Will I be able to listen to classical in my car? I don't know. Well, I would hope so. But again, I would have hoped that they've brought it to the iPad and the Mac as well. Do classical music fans not use iPads or Macs? 
the fact it's on not on the iPad is mind-boggling. Surely that is a piece of cake compared to everything else. But there you go. Also of note, though, today, HomePod software's out. Watches are updated. iPads are updated. Macs are updated. Studio Display's even got an update. Everything's been updated to the latest version. And then I assume tomorrow, another day, we'll, we'll get the next beta and there'll be some more goodness coming in that one. Have you rushed off to put it on your Apple TV, though? I've literally kicked everything off before we podcasted. I thought, you know what? I'll quickly just whiz around the house, get everything updated, job done. Fair enough. I'll vaguely get around to it as I nudge everyone in the house to, to update themselves. Good. Moving on. It's a bit of a sad story, this next one, I think. It is a bit of a sad story, this one. So Gordon Moore has died. So Gordon Moore was a founder of Intel, one of three founders, and held very many positions there at obviously very senior levels, but sadly passed away this week. He did. 94 is a good age to get to. Gordon Moore, obviously, apart from his innovations in the chip space, is best known for his, his sort of prediction called Moore's Law, which he posited in 1965 that the number of transistors on an integrated circuit would double every year. He revised that in 1975 to doubling every two years for the next decade, and it's still pretty much true. Yeah, I found this interesting. So it was obviously something you and I would have learned when we were at university or at college. So it's held water for you know, an impressively long amount of time. And you were saying, obviously, he reached the, the ripe old age of 94. How much has computing changed in his time? It's incredible, the advancements that have been made when you look back of what it would have been like when they set up Intel to what it looked like yesterday or, or last week, which I thought was super interesting. But apparently, he didn't like that it was called Moore's Law because it was named after him because he was quite, I don't know what the right word is, maybe bashful. Humble. the attention. Humble. Humble is a good word, but I guess got used to it over time. But what a thing to come up with, and it actually was A, correct, and B, held water for so long. I mean, Intel's an, an amazing company. They're kind of not what they were in some ways, although they're still a massive force in computing. But Intel 8008 chip, which is one of the first chips, was really what powered the home computing revolution. So the first accepted home computer was the Altair 8800, and that was powered by the Intel 8008. And then obviously, when we come to the IBM PC, the desktop PC, Forget the model numbers, fifty-seven forty or something. I think was the was the first Intel IBM PC, and I, I vividly remember Apple's advert so, you know, taking out a page. I think it was in the Times. I remember my father showing it to me, going, "Welcome IBM, seriously." Which is Apple had a desktop computer. This was Intel finally getting into the race. But if you think they started that company, you know, as long ago as they did, and to go from the birth of computing to still being a major force in computing to these days, partly due to this guy's ideas, that's really quite impressive and worth celebrating. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And we wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for Intel, I don't think, because we needed them to kickstart it whilst they're not they're not in favor at the moment because they just they just don't deliver the performance for the amount of heat that they that they generate. They were the ones that chip and the, that whole x86 range of chips for what twenty to thirty years propelled home computing office computing, made it affordable. If it wasn't for that, the nineties and the two thousands would look very different. Very much so. Well done, Gordon Moore. Moving on. This is the most interesting bug in some ways. So this is a story in the register about Microsoft scrambling to fix a bug in Windows 11 screen capture tool called Acropolis, which Acropolis, which is try saying that three times real fast. When you take a screenshot and you crop it down for the areas that you don't want to be part of your screenshot, so you don't want your password or whatever website you happen to be looking on when you share it with your colleagues, those cropped parts of the images were still being saved. This is amazing. Uh, you had one job to do and <laughs> just discard what's been cropped and you didn't do it. Yeah, unbelievable this because I, I took a screen grab this morning. I often do this. I have to pay my credit card statement. 
I get the statement up, I screen grab it, I grab the little bit of text that just gives me the amount because I can never remember it. I then paste that in and, and pay it. And if I'd used this tool, it would have kept the whole screen grab of my bank account, which you don't really want. Yep. And if you had a Pixel phone, it would have done exactly the same thing because this bug isn't just affecting Windows, it's affecting Google Pixel phones too. So that's not good. Lots of people take screen captures with their phones too. Yeah, not not good one bit of it, is it? It's unbelievable. Yeah, there's a good quote in the Register article here. Stephen Murdoch, a professor of security engineering at the UK's University College London, shared some thoughts here, so there's a link in the article, on the underlying issue with Windows, specifically its, its save file API, which he has described as defective by design. I mean, that's not a phrase you want applying to you. It doesn't sound good, does it? Defective by design. This this is a serious problem. You need to fix this if you're able to pull back these images potentially with sensitive information on them. How many government agencies, universities, corporate secrets are potentially on other parts of the screen when you take a screenshot? Yeah, or yeah, other windows you've got open could be super interesting. And then what happens is time progresses and say SARS get, you know, subject access requests get clever and they can actually search images. You could end up having more things coming out than you could possibly imagine. Totally. You're in the NHS, you've got a screen capture, you've got patient notes open on one side of the screen, you've got the little thing you want to send somebody, there's a whole list of NHS numbers and the conditions and stuff. Terrible bug. Agreed. Yeah, fix it please Microsoft and fix it please Google. Moving on. Speaking of Microsoft. Speaking of Microsoft, there's a few Microsoft stories. For an Apple podcast, we talk about Microsoft a lot. They're big in the they're, they're big in the tech space and to be fair to them, I think they do quite a good job on the Apple platform these days of providing OS, up, you know, Office updates, Teams. So I'm not surprised. Fair enough. So this has one, been one of our perennial stories here about Microsoft's acquisition of Blizzard. The, one of the biggest holdouts against it was the UK's Competition and Markets Authority. They've finally gone, yeah, sure, it's fine. We've signed with Microsoft. You can go ahead and you can do your merger. So that's the end of the drama, really. I'm not surprised. You know, Microsoft were clearly making some concessions and signing up for 10 years worth of licensing on Sony. It looked like this was going to happen ultimately. So it's not a big shock, is it? And I'm assuming Blizzard and Activision need this to sort themselves out. I mean, the interesting thing is that Microsoft reckoned that the CMA's math was bad. That's an awkward conversation to have, isn't it? Well, Microsoft says it welcomes the CMA's decision to fix its financial model. We appreciate the CMA's rigorous and thorough evaluation of the evidence and welcome its updated provisional findings. Wow. Wow. Yeah, what it's, can you say to that? it's bold, isn't it? Bold. But obviously it's worked. Yeah, it's worked. They've got what they wanted, haven't they? The deal's gone through. It's obviously not watered it down too much for them because they're still proceeding. Yeah. Oh, well, there's not a lot to be said. It's interesting while it lasted, and I'm still not entirely sure it was the right thing to do to let it happen, because it will restrict gaming, but I'm not the competition's market authority, I'm not the EU, and I'm not anybody else that had a problem with this deal. So, well done, Microsoft. It took you long enough, but you've finally done the deal. Yeah, I was actually listening to a podcast, the Decoder podcast series again, and they were talking around Ticketmaster and how I think it was a change under the Reagan administration in America that actually encouraged people companies to buy more companies and do mergers and become bigger whereas up until that point there was a very strict you know harder stance on mergers and acquisitions so it's quite interesting actually a change that happened in certain number here 40 odd 50 years ago probably 40 years ago has then propelled some of these things to take place and change the whole culture and, and create these big behemoths that just get bigger through acquisition yeah interesting 
Moving on, and but sticking with Microsoft, we talked on this podcast a few weeks ago about there would be the ability in Windows 11 to hook up iMessage to your Windows PC. That's now live. You can try it out if you want to. And it seems very basic from, from the guts of this story, which is basically when the phone is there and it's connected, you can do single-person messaging back and forth, iMessaging back and forth, which is effectively the same integration as you get as Bluetooth in your car. So my Tesla... If I hook up my iPhone to it, it'll read me messages, I can reply to messages, but not out of it's a group, and it will go away. So the second I disconnect my phone, there is no message history left, and that's exactly the same as what you're getting in Windows. If you've been messaging that person, you disconnect your phone, the whole message history is gone. So it only remembers their history whilst you're in session, in essence. Okay. It looks okay, but it does look a bit basic for 2023. One of the reasons I moved over to use my iPad full-time was just having the same set of apps everywhere kind of thing. And, and that has been good for me. And it, it's the same now on your Mac. You can get all your messages on it and what have you. So it looks okay. It's quite it's quite neat what they're doing, the way they've reversed engineered some of it. But it, like you say, I think it is just that little bit too basic. It's not Microsoft's fault. I'm glad they got something working, frankly. I mean, well done to them for getting that much working on a desktop PC. But this isn't a drop-in replacement for what you'd be used to in your Mac or your iPad. But if you were on such a lockdown PC in your office and you still want to be able to message people, this will let you do that. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I think you're right. Microsoft have done the most they can do with 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 what they've got there. So, um, and it's good, and they're bringing a bit more parity between the the i the iPhone and the Android i you know integration because before it was just Android only. Yeah. So, um, fair play. I'm amazed they've actually progressed with it. Well done, Microsoft. There you go. We we curse them with one hand and we bless them with another. So, what's this next one then? Cassette. So. One of the things I've missed about moving back to iTunes, it's not called iTunes anymore, Apple Music, is the collaborative playlist thing. So on Spotify, you can build collaborative playlists with your family, with your friends. Quite often, radio stations will publish playlists to Spotify. So for example, if you were a BBC Six Music fan, they would do their A-list and B-list of the singles they'd released that week. And you could always have an updated rotating list of, of records and things that you might want to listen to based on that iTunes Music doesn't have that. Apple Music doesn't have that. You can create the playlists and you can share them with a link to somebody else, but you can't collaboratively build one. This app, Cassette, linked in the show notes, will let you do a little bit of this collaborative playlist generation. Okay, so so I've not never really been a Spotify user, so I didn't know that was a thing. I have listened to some playlists on Apple. I always get annoyed when you add a playlist and you get putting random tracks in my album library but i've never really done the the collaborative thing i guess i don't know who i had to collaborate with i, I listen to, to the music i like but it might be interesting to do like with the family and stuff i guess well for example we had a new year's party a few years ago and we wanted to have a mix of songs that the adults had that the kids had that the teenagers had and, and sort of bring all that together to represent everybody and i don't know what my kids listen to i certainly don't know what somebody else's teenage kids teenagers listen to so the ability to have a collaborative, truly collaborative playlist where you can shuffle through that when you've got people around or you know, you're, you're building a, a set for a road trip with your friend that you're going to do or whatever it is, I think is a really important part of music. And music used to be a tangible thing. You know, you'd make people mixtapes, you'd lend them your record, do all that kind of stuff. And Apple Music misses all this almost entirely for me. Yeah, I agree with you there. And do you know, I was just looking at, at the screenshots for it. It actually looks quite a nice app, like really nicely done, quite, looks quite well polished. It does. So I, I, maybe I'll make it an app of the week some week. I might remember to go back and actually try it. But it, it, it's also a bit limited in how it syncs back and forth. There are some, because again, you can only do what Apple will let you do with the API, but at least it's something. Uh, agreed. No, I'm, I'm on board with it. And 
I am impressed with the Apple Music API that they do. You can actually make quite a lot. You could rebuild music if you wanted to with the amount of data they let you have and consume. There's a lot lot you can do with it if, if you're that way inclined. Yeah, the underlying app's okay. And I agree with you, the API's pretty good. I've got lots of issues with Apple Music, not the least of which is quite often I'll go to play a song and it will go not authorised. I'd say a good 15% of the time, maybe 20% of the time, I just try and play a thing, not authorised. Drives me wild. Yeah, I'm with you there. I've had that a few times. I'm like, ah, it's so infuriating. Yeah. So anyway, interesting app, maybe worth checking out if you want to build a collaborative playlist. Yep, no, we should give it a go. We should. Last story. Something to thank Tesla for if you've got lots of money laying around. So Tesla have announced a wireless charging platform, which does what AirPower couldn't. So for those that don't know, Apple pre-announced a product called AirPower, which was a charging mat onto which you could just chuck a bunch of things that needed wireless charging, a phone, your watch, your AirPods, and the idea is it would just find it and start charging it. Announced it, announced it, never actually came to thing, and then, and then they cancelled the product. Tesla have shipped this wireless charging platform that will charge multiple devices on one mat for the princely sum of $300. A couple of points. One, that is a lot of money. Uh, two, why are Tesla building things like this? Like, it seems a bit out of their wheelhouse. I was amazed. I was talking to a friend of the weekend. Apparently, Tesla also make hops. Did you know that? You get I did. a Tesla hop. I did not know that. And I was just like, surely you want to focus on your core business? Like, it seems like you've got enough issues with your core business. Why are you making all these other things? I'd be curious, but I guess it's what a lot of companies do. It's, it's that, you know, you, you want multiple income streams and you want to grow your business. Investors love all that. But this just seems bizarre that they're making these very expensive cars and now they're going to make $300 accessories to charge your, your devices. I don't, I don't know, unless they, this is something they're literally going to put in their car and they thought, well, actually, why don't we make it a standalone product? Maybe it is. I mean, I have two wireless charging mats on my Tesla that are sort of built into the dashboard. Maybe it is that underneath the skin. Yeah, maybe Yeah, maybe they've just productized it. Fair enough. And do you think the other things that they make, some of it makes sense. So they obviously make batteries, they make cars, they make batteries for your house. So if you have got solar panels, you can run it through and run your house off the battery in the house. Tesla Powerwall is what's that called. And I think for a while they actually made solar panels too. And they may still make solar panels. So you totally see that. The sunlight comes in, you charge your house, you charge your car. Now you can charge your phone too. Yeah, it does tangentially make sense. It just seems bizarre to me that they're going to be doing a $300 accessory, which is expensive for that market. But you never know. Maybe in 10 years' time, Tesla make cars and everything power-related. Who knows? Well, at least they managed to make it unlike Apple. Well, there is that. But then... Apple could maybe Apple could do it now. The the world's moved on. Times times advanced by about four years. I'm going to say. Yeah, I I think they got burned, <laughs> which isn't a great thing for for charging products. But you never know. Yeah, no, you don't know, do you? But um, yeah, it it looks kind of cool. If it wasn't three hundred pounds, I'd probably be a little more interested because that to me looks like a great thing to put in your hallway or something for you or your friends when they come over just to pop their devices on. Because most people have got chi now get some charge in it while people are over. And it actually doesn't look too offensive. It's it's not beautiful, but it's not an offensive design. At the same time, I bought my daughter an Ikea lamp when she went off to university. It's got Qi charging built into the base of the lamp. More and more products have it. Yeah, we've, we've got one of those in, in the house. And it's fine. It's not it's not quick, but it, it's fine. Yeah, you need, if you need a few volts when you're just sat next to the, the TV, it's not a bad thing. Well done, Tesla. Yeah, no, yeah, hats off. I don't disagree with you. We're, we're saying well done to Microsoft and Tesla this week. 
<laughs> look at us. Look at we're all charitable. Should we move on to media? Media, yeah. Not not a lot to report this week. I know I know we've been busy. So yeah, media this week. Briefly, me. I think first off, I finished. I finished Welcome to Wrexham. Fantastic is what I'm going to go with. Really enjoyed it. Ryan Reynolds comes across very well. It's somebody that I don't really know much about. I haven't actually seen many of his films, but actually the way he portrayed himself, I thought came across really well. My only criticism of the 18 episodes is a couple of them were a bit filler. And that was my only bit of feedback. But then when they're 20, 25 minutes, it's not so bad. And I generally enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed getting to the next one to, to see what was going on. So would 100% recommend to anybody, whether you like football or not, I am not a football fan, but genuinely enjoyed the show and just seeing some of the mechanics of what they were trying to do. So thumbs up for me. Sounds good. When I've reached the bottom of, my, of the things that I'm watching, I'll maybe have a look at it. I, like I say, for you know, 20 minutes of your time, you should definitely watch an episode and just, just see if you if you like it because I, I think it's good. And it is fairly consistent, the style of it. Like I said, there are a couple of filler episodes, but it might be something good for you and the family because obviously it's set in Wales, not too far from you guys. And I just thought it was quite good. So we'd definitely recommend. Whilst we're on things I would recommend, Succession Series 4, Episode 1 is out in the UK today if you've got Now TV or Sky and fantastic just carries on if you like the previous seasons you'll like it obviously rod you won't like it but i would recommend i really enjoyed it it's crude it's horrible it's everything the succession's ever been and it's, it's carrying on in the same vein fair enough i'm glad you're enjoying it I'm, I'm glad they're keeping the quality going i can break in here a little bit actually you i think recommended to me that i watch peep show i don't think i recommended it. i think somebody else had recommended it to you but you mentioned you were going to watch it uh and the guy that wrote peep show also wrote succession Oh, Jesse Armstrong. Yeah, you, did, you didn't know that. So it definitely wasn't you. The time. So whoever told me that and you listen to the podcast, thank you very much. Yeah, same guy. Fair play. He's got some good good things in his back. He's also done a few other shows. He's, yeah, he's done some good stuff. If, if memory serves, I haven't got it to hand. But um, anyway, would recommend if you like Succession, make sure you watch season four. Fair enough. Next one's also you. Also me, Ted Lasso, series three, episode two dropped last week. I'm starting to get used to actually having things come out on a weekly cadence, I think because it is nice just to i guess have something to look forward to whereas we don't always get that when we binge so ted lasso yeah episode two's out fantastic it's just carrying on in the same vein i think they've done a really good job of consistency between the seasons so i'm enjoying it yeah would again would recommend i'm looking forward to when is it wednesday as soon as wednesday rolls around i'll be there Wednesday's a big day. There's there's Mandalorian season three. It's coming out on a Wednesday. The Bad Batch, if you follow the Star Wars cartoon, is out on a Wednesday. There's something else comes out on a Wednesday that I can't think of right now, but I, I really quite enjoy watching. So Wednesday, well, Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso's a big deal too. So, you know, plenty to watch. I think actually our next item came up a race across the world. So I think that comes out on a Wednesday. So episode one was last week of season three. And this is where you have couples of contestants and it may, it may be an actual couple or, you know, father and a daughter or some friends. And they have to race through checkpoints either across a country or multiple countries. And first one gets to the end, obviously wins, but they have a finite amount of money to do it. They can earn some money back and they, they've got no tech. And season three episode one I debuted last wednesday i think it was wednesday and they're in canada and they've got to go from the west of canada to the east and stop off at various checkpoints and i loved it i thought it was fantastic canada is looking like a very beautiful country that i'd like to go to i think you've seen it 
I have seen it. I've actually seen it twice. With commitment. A friend of mine came down and I was keen for him to see it too. And he absolutely loved it. I was a bit worried. He's not always into that kind of stuff. But I was. I remember being so impressed with the first two seasons of Race Across the World that it was a must watch for me. And it's. I was a bit sceptical about whether Canada would be any good based on, you know, a, a racing from London to Singapore or from Mexico City to Ushuaia in South America, which is where they went last time. Both amazing TV shows, really compelling viewing. And this has started terrifically. I've thoroughly enjoyed the first episode of Race Across the World. Didn't realise how bad public transport was in Canada, am I? Well, it's just, I don't know if it's bad. They're just on a different cadence of stuff takes days or weeks rather than it's every day or on the hour or whatever it may be. Like you, I was a little sceptical because I was like, oh, we're only in one country this time. But actually, I think it's going to work really well. I really like it. I love the show. I've watched the first two seasons when they've come out. I think it's fantastic. So yeah, it's a good watch. And it's a good family-friendly watch as well. 100% agree. Well worth your time. Definitely. One for me. I can't remember if I said before, you had mentioned ITVX for on a particular show and I'd gone looking and I found Sharp on there. I've started slowly working my way through Sharp again. What a terrific show it is. Just, it's, it's kept going. It's great to see Sean Bean at his best. He does say the word that he's known for in a particular northern way very well, which I'm not going to repeat in the podcast because we'll definitely use a clean tag at that point. But it's just great. The costumes are great. You can see they obviously got more money as they went through it. There's more extras on there. If you like a bit, a little bit of bodice-ripping Napoleon, Napoleonic era stuff, have a look at Sharp. Yeah, it's interesting because it's normally me that likes to go back and watch retro TV shows. So it's interesting you're having your moment in the sun. But it's nice to go and watch the thing that you really loved or was, you know, something that you were attached to. So fair play. I've never watched Sharp, but maybe I should. You should. It's, it's fascinating seeing some of the sort of extras and people on the sidelines who were obviously in it before they were famous. So like Liz Hurley was in one episode. Just as, okay. as an actress, Julian Fellows, who went on to write Downton Abbey and things like that, pops up in a couple of episodes. Wow, okay. So uh, it literally is a sp- springboard, I guess, for people. It's kind of a who's who. In the same way when I went back and watched... Did you ever watch Wallander on the BBC with Kenneth Branagh? No, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. So a remake of a Swedish detective thing. Like He's a, he's a homicide detective, and he's, it's very gritty and down-to-earth, and he's got a drinking problem, and sort of very... Lots of stereotypes for a detective character. But his assistant in the first episode is Tom Hiddleston. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Because so, him, I really enjoyed in The Night Manager was the thing I really enjoyed. You're going to say a Marvel film, but I'm, I'm going to say The Night Manager. He was fantastic in that. No, he's very good in The Night Manager. And he's good in that. And you can see where they get these these young actors who are up and coming and go on to greater things. It's, it's interesting to see them in these old ITV and BBC things before they got their leap. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, the um, the lady that owns the AFC, no, Hannah Waddington, I'm going to say her name is. She was in an episode of Coupling, which was a funny BBC sitcom thing back in the early 2000s. And she was only in one episode. But it's, it's again, 20 years later, fast forward, how, how much her career has changed. And, and yeah, she's much more famous now, obviously. But it's interesting, like you say, see where they started. I can get my Game of Thrones link in here as well. She was in Game of Thrones very briefly in a, in a pivotal role too. Oh, I did not know that. So... In one of the scenes, somebody is made to be feel shame and walked through the town naked. I'm giving absolutely no spoilers away with somebody ringing a bell, going shame, shame, shame. Hannah Waddington is the woman ringing the bell. Uh, okay, well, there you go. There you go. And very quickly to finish off media, continuing to watch Mandalorian, Mandalorian Season 3. It's very good. Feels a bit light, a couple of the episodes. What you were saying about Welcome to Wrexham, I think there's a bit of padding going on here. 
I don't necessarily need to see all of this. It's not been quite as good as maybe bits of season one and season two were, but there has been one standout excellent episode so far, so I have high hopes that the quality level will go back up. We don't need padding in this day and age. If you haven't got eight episodes, make it six. It's fine. Yeah, I'm with you. Picard, season three, however, is still excellent all the way through it with no padding at all, and I love it. Fair enough. Right, on to games? Yeah, this our game section gets ever shorter every week because neither of us have got time to play games at the moment. It's bad days, isn't it? There's not a lot coming out, I'll be honest. But I've had a couple of goes on Gran Turismo and a bit of FIFA, largely with my children. But there's nothing that I've sat down and played. So I did see a thing that made me think, wow, remember that. So Counter-Strike 2 was announced this week. And you and I both played a fair bit of Counter-Strike back in the day. We did, but this feels a bit like Duke Nukem 3D 2. Did this not get announced like 20 years ago? Has no. it never been announced? No. So Counter-Strike has evolved over from what you and I remember was classic Counter-Strike, which was 1.6, which is the one that launched with the Valve client, which went on to be, you know, the the, the Steam system that we know that is the... Yeah, it was like the precursor to Steam, wasn't it? It was. And it, Counter-Strike was the game that they sort of launched with it. And then they went on to much greater things in terms of Half-Life, Half-Life 2, Portal, and all these other classic games that came on afterwards. And then they obviously sell other software through that store these days. Counter-Strike evolved to eventually become something called CSGO, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, which I played a little bit of. Very similar to the Counter-Strike that we knew and love, but it was all still running on the original Source engine, which is what Half-Life ran on back in the day. Interesting. When you say CSGO, when I read that, I just thought that meant like a mobile version. But now now, now you've mentioned that, it makes it a lot more... <laughs> Makes it seem a lot more, yeah, much more like a bigger game. I just thought it was like some some iOS version they made. Okay, no, so it was an evolution, like a one point, a Counter Strike one point five, if you will. We'll ignore the version numbers; they get stupid. Anyway, Counter Strike two released, available to some beta testers, but not many of the sort of YouTube streamers I watch. I had many happy hours playing Counter Strike. I'm frankly too old these days. It's the time to kills really fast. You really need to know the maps. You need to be really sweaty when you're playing it to do well in it. I'll probably pick it up because it'll be interesting and it'll almost certainly run on the Mac as well because Valve are really good at supporting that kind of stuff. Yeah, that is true. They they have they have the Steam client on the Mac. I don't know how many games they support on the Mac. But yeah, I'd be a little interested in it, but I would nowhere near be good enough to play it. I think, I think I'd be infuriated. Yeah, that's yeah. die, repeat, die, repeat, die, run, repeat. That's going to be it. Yeah, agreed. And that's all I had for games, so I'll just keep an eye out for it. And who knows, maybe next week I'll actually get the chance to play some. Well, you've done better than me, obviously, but I'm really struggling to play games at the moment. Um, like you, I'm just not, not finding the time for it, and I, I can't explain why. It's one of those things, yeah. Moving on. Main show? Main show. We got there actually quite quick. We did. This is gonna. I, I, I'm going to stick to it. This is actually going to be a shorter episode. Yeah, you're probably right this week, I think. And weirdly, news is, in in the tech sphere, news is relatively quiet. There's just, I don't it, know. I don't know if this is like the long tail of a pandemic, but there's just not masses. I think it might be Easter, and that is a holiday in quite a lot of the world, and lots of people stop working. And we're prepping for the summer. You know, we're prepping for WWDC. We're prepping for all the computer games announcements. We're prepping for new TV shows and films coming along. So I think it's okay to get a bit of a lull from time to time. Yeah, agreed. And I guess you and I have only really been doing this podcast for just over a year, so we've we're probably not used to this the, the drier spells, as it were, in, in between big news. So maybe, maybe there are some, there is some big news coming. Who knows? Maybe. Do you want to talk about your home cinema setup? That's something somebody might find interesting. Yeah. So we thought this week we'd touch on 
what we both have for home cinemas. So I'm fortunate I've got two lounges. In one lounge, I've just got a TV and I have got a soundbar. I know they're controversial with an Apple TV. And that that is just AT, you know, ATV. It's not meant to have any tech in it per se, but I've tried to keep it as minimal as possible. And then in the main lounge where we watch films and Formula One and play PlayStation, I just thought I'd cover the spec there of what, what we've got. So in there, we've got 65-inch LG screen it's an oled screen with 120 hertz refresh which is important if you're a playstation person because the ps5 will support 120 hertz refresh so it was that tv i really wanted never had an oled before it's fantastic and that's the biggest tv we've ever had and at the time i thought this is massive but then you you, you go and see other friends and you go you you know you go to the the shops like Waitrose or Curry's, sorry, not Waitrose, John Lewis here in the UK or Curry's, another electronics retailer. You see the screens at 75 inch, I'm like, oh, maybe I should have got a bigger one. So yeah, I've got, I've got that LG screen. It takes lots of HDR inputs, but I only use one because I then feed it into the back of a, a Denon amp that I've got that also does 4K and 120 hertz. But it does about, I think it's about eight inputs it will take and obviously one output into the TV. So I've got everything plugged into there and that denon thing has been amazing because you can get an app on your phone to replace the controller of it and you can you know rename all the inputs you can do all the firmware upgrading and actually the app was super simple to set up now i've got all of this plugged into the ethernet but obviously they all support wi-fi and then i've just gone for 5.1 surround sound now some people were trying to convince me to get 7.1 or put speakers in the ceiling because i was doing an extension at the time but I've stuck with 5.1. I'm very happy with it, I must say. The only thing I was slightly annoyed about is my front speaker is just slightly too wide for the unit I've got. And I've got to do some work on that. But I'm really pleased with it. I bought just a, I bought the amp and then a set of surround sound, basically some Kef speakers. So I've got these Kef 301 speakers, which fit perfectly next to a big, big TV. They're nice and thin and they, they sit by the side of it. Two, the same two on the, on the rear, on the reverse. And then, a, in essence, a horizontal one for the, for the center speaker and a subwoofer. And that's what I've got. So quite a straightforward surround sound. I do love it. We had some friends around recently. And they sat in the lounge. And, and he was quite young. You know, he was about 15-year-old boy that, that was around. And he was like, where's that sound coming from? And he, he'd never had surround sound or experienced it. And he was like, that's amazing. You know, he was playing a car racing game, I think. And there was noises of cars coming behind him. And it's amazing how I think how you take it for granted. But I love it. And do you know what I love about this setup? Because I was really nervous about it. And if you're into a bit of tech, we've all been there of how family friendly is this going to be? How often are the kids going to turn the telly on or my, or my wife turn the television on and it not be on the right output? And you've got to you know adjust the sound or do this or do that. But you know what, with the way televisions work now where you can have all these inputs going into it and the remote controls and it all just kind of works. It doesn't really matter which control you pick up, you can turn off the TV. Or if you want to turn on the PlayStation with the PlayStation controller, it will turn on the PlayStation. The PlayStation will turn the telly on. The telly, well, sorry, it will turn the amp on and the amp will turn the telly on. And it all just kind of daisy chains. And that's made it all really super family friendly that every time anybody's watching TV, they're using the good speakers and the surround sound and they've had to do nothing to do it because when I've had it before, I'd buy the speakers, but they don't even get used when I was at home because I'd be the one that would turn them on and make sure they, they sounded all right. So it is nice that you can, everybody gets to enjoy it all the time, if that makes sense. Very good. So that's kind of my setup. And on it, I've got, yeah, I've got the PS5, I've got Sky Q box, got an Apple TV, obviously, got a Nintendo Switch and the DVD player. 
So that all routes through, and it's all just sat in an IKEA cabinet with doors on it, so you can't see it. And it is quite nice. The only problem I've had is the PlayStation and the Sky Q box overheating. So I've actually then removed the back panels so that all the air can just go out the back. And you, you wouldn't know from the front. And I shouldn't have bothered putting those panels in in hindsight because it gives you more room to run the cables. Obviously, gives you a lot more airflow. But they're the only two devices that struggled with being enclosed. That's interesting. So I've, I've got two setups I can talk about, really, because I've got a dedicated cinema room, for want of a better word. And I've got mm. the living room. So I'll, I'll talk about the scenario that got to me, where, got me to where I am. What you described a minute ago about it being family friendly is definitely a factor. So I used to have a very good hi-fi system. I had a musical fidelity amplifier and CD player, and I had some monitor audio speakers. Good stereo speakers, good amplifier, all driven using the rule of you know most expensive to least expensive with all the rest of it. Loved it so much when it, when. It, Surround Sound came along, I wanted to continue to use that amplifier and just drive the remaining, well, 2.1 speakers effectively, the two rears and the subwoofer. So I bought a Yamaha amplifier that did that. It would take the audio signal from the Musical Fidelity amp, it would turn it into Surround Sound, and it would give you an approximation of decent Surround Sound. The problem with that, as you can imagine, is you're running two amplifiers with two remote controls with various inputs, and it never worked unless I was there. You've already lost your partner at remote one, let alone remote two. You've lost your partner, you've lost your kids, you lose your mind from time to time when something decides to go wrong in that setup and you don't know what's going on. So that wasn't ideal. So when the opportunity came and I was having an extension done like you were, to sort of remodel and actually get all the speakers out of the living room, I sort of leapt at the chance because that balance between it sounds good, it looks good, and it's acceptable to everybody is quite a hard one to walk. So in the, in the cinema room now, I have... Similar to you, I have a Denon amplifier. I have the, give me a second, I did write it down somewhere and now I can't find it. <clears throat> I have an AVRX2200W, which is a 4K Dolby amplifier. It's 7.1, it's not Dolby Atmos, which is the current sort of highest standard for sounds, but it's pretty good. So, so I have a 7.1 surround speaker on. It's really good, it sounds fantastic. With Canton speakers, they're only little speakers, they're, they're, fi they're the 7.1 setup. I've, got, I've linked to the 5.1, but the additional two speakers are the same si sort of size, small ones. Decent center speaker, although it's all a bit small, but for the size of my, my cinema room, that's fine. Sounds great though, down there, I can really crank it up. That is powered by a PS4 Pro, so I can do stuff at 4K, films on 4K with, with the PS4 Pro, which also overheats in my entertainment center, I should say, when I'm watching Blu-rays down there. And that's all very good. So I have my lovely 7.1 surround setup running through a good amplifier, which is an AirPlay compatible receiver, actually. If I want to, I can AirPlay music to it as well, which is quite nice. And the interface mostly gets out of the way. It's quite a good receiver. I've been quite impressed with the, with the, with the Denon amplifier. Speakers are fine. They could probably do an upgrade. They'd probably be the next thing I'd upgrade down there if I was thinking about doing it. And that all works very well. So it sounds good. But like you say, it's not as family friendly. And when you say down there, is it more of an effort? Did the family use it without you? Were you always there for it? Well, it's been used... So when I first got it, I used it quite a bit. I'd go down there and watch anything. I remember watching a rugby match on it one night, being so impressed on my... You know, because it's it's a cinema room. I've got a projector in there as well. I've got a 108-inch screen, 1080p wow. screen. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's nice down there. But you're kind of away from everything is the problem when you're down there. So you, you do feel slightly separate to everything else that's going on in the house. It's the same with my shed. Yeah, I don't often use it in the evening unless I'm recording with yourself, but I use it all the time when I'm at work because I'm, nobody else is in the house. But you do feel yeah, sl slightly isolated, I guess, is the word, because you're not just in the next room, even though you, you could be kind of thing. No, it sounds like an impressive setup. I love you've got a projector and a screen. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, 
The other thing then that is also quite good for us, when the kids were, when they had more friends and parties around, we could shunt their parties down there. They knew enough to be able to turn on, and it is a damn sight simpler than it used to be when it was in the living room. It's one button, turn on the PlayStation, and turn on the projector, and you're good to go. You know, they all know how to work the PlayStation, so it's so it's easy. They'd have their parties, they'd watch the films, we'd hear various, very loud music bouncing its way upstairs from time to time through the floor. Great. And then occasionally, I'd have some friends around and we'd watch, you know, set-piece films like John Wick or something like that. With There's five or six blokes with some beers open, and you sit and you watch a film like that. Terrific. So it... Don't get me wrong, I haven't stopped using it. It's it's there, but it's got a very dedicated purpose. It's for parties or sort of specific watching events. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I'm like that. I'd like, when we're watching a film, we go in, go in the room with the nice OLED telly and the nice sound. You know, I'd rather make more of an event of it. I'm a big big film watcher like you are. And I'd rather, I know if I've got a better TV, I'd rather watch it on that. Yeah. So... That's the downstairs. Then in the upstairs, I've I've gone for simplicity as much as anything else. So upstairs I have, and we talked about it on this show, a 65-inch LG G2 screen, which is 120 hertz, very similar to what you're talking about. It's a really nice television. It's HDR. It's very bright in places. I, when you can feed it a good input, it looks amazing. Yeah, fair play to LG. I mean, I still remember 20 years ago, they were maybe more of a mediocre brand but they are now if you're going to buy a screen they are one of the top brands to get a screen from it's fantastic yeah and between samsung and lg they supply the screens for sony and others anyway so and let's face it the panel you're looking at you know on your studio display there is almost certainly a samsung or an lg one yeah and i think to be fair to samsung they make a good product at a reasonable price i'd say you know some of this stuff isn't cheap but it's a reasonable price for what you're getting and you it's good quality i think to be fair and I like the operating system. I like the WebOS operating system. It's far better than the Samsung alternative. I always get confused between the home screen and the settings. I don't know. It just doesn't seem very consistent to me. But I barely use my TV. I probably forgot to say that. I don't know whether you do. But we basically do all our interaction through the Apple TV. And because we've got multiple, we've got an Apple TV on every TV to the family, they just got one way of interacting. And they don't have to worry about the different OSs running on the televisions, if that makes sense. Pretty much, except... As we've talked about, for those devices that don't support 4K, so iPlayer doesn't support 4K, so I will go and use the native iPlayer on the television so I could watch Peaky Blinders in 4K or any of the other shows on the BBC. And I think the old Amazon one isn't very well supported in 4K either. Uh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, I should probably start using the BBC one built into the TV. I hadn't really thought about that. I'm amazed they've not updated it for the Apple TV. Come on. Usually the BBC are very good at that. Not in this case. So that's the screen. And it's driven by an Apple TV. It's not the current generation, it's one behind, but it was the first one that supported HDR. Yeah, but they're all, they haven't really moved on massively, the hardware-wise, so I wouldn't worry about that. I've got a couple of 4K ones, but I haven't got the latest. I, I don't feel it's slow or it's a problem or anything. And I've got the PS5, so that's the only two devices I've got attached to it. And the PS5, I don't watch media on that. It's not an efficient device to watch iPlayer or, or anything on. It, ha- it is, it's not as, as loud as the PS4 was, but I don't want a PlayStation churning away with its fan going while I'm watching things. Uh, agreed we we literally just use it for gaming it's got apps on it but we don't use them same so then for sound i have in the living room i have a sonos beam which is their sound bar it's not their biggest most expensive sound bar but it's a decent sound bar it does it's got the true play calibration thing that sonos products have so it can set make this woofer tweeter a little bit louder than the one next to it based on the layout of your room and all the rest of it as a front speaker and at the back i've got two sonos ones links in the show notes for rear channels and I don't have a, a, a subwoofer because Sonos subwoofers are insanely expensive, even for the little ones. So I might think about that in the future. But for now, 
that gives me no hassle surround sound. I have eARC, which is the enhanced audio return channel on the TV. So everything comes out onto the Sonos box. There is no audio on the TV. It's all controlled. But it's all crucially on the same controller, as you said. Volume up on the Apple TV controls volume on the, on the surround sound system as well. So there's no messing about with anything there. And for those things that support it, because not everything is mixed to surround sound, it just works flawlessly. And is that all Dol- Dolby Atmos with the Sonos? No. So right. Sonos have just released in the last week, actually, I think the press, the PR stuff is out today. They're Sonos 300 speakers, which are Dolby Atmos, but the current Sonos ones that I've got on there are not. Right. Okay. Because that was something, because I think I bought my Denon app more recently than you. And something I did go for was actually, can I have Atmos? And so my soundbar, my one TV is Atmos. And then my Denon setup is all Atmos because it just felt, I don't know, it's a couple of years ago, I bought all this. Everything was just going Atmos. You could, you know, and I think I was quite lucky to get into that. Whereas probably if I'd have bought a year previous, I wouldn't have gone for Atmos because it, it hadn't got the the traction. So all Atmos gives you in speakers is up firing speakers as well. So you get the, oh, okay. the ones coming straight at you from your various surround things are, are the usual 5 or 7.1 or 2.1 or whatever you've got. Atmos will put upward firing speakers. So if you don't have upward firing speakers on your actual speakers, it ain't doing anything for you. Yeah, I was just about to say. Probably not doing anything for me in my surround sound set then because there's not upward firing. My soundbar there will be, obviously, because that, that was built for it. And the soundbar I'm a bit mixed on. Sometimes I'm like, oh, that's not bad for a soundbar. And then other days I'm like, it should, it should have got surround sound. Well, that's you've, you've coined it perfectly. It's not bad for a soundbar. It's definitely better than the TV, 100%. It was about, I, I've got Sony One. It is quite chunky. It was about £150. But actually, for the money, it's definitely worth it. And if you've got a room where you're trying to appease the family and not have cables everywhere and and tech, it is actually very good. Yeah, TV speakers are rubbish because, you know, they're very, very thin. There's no space to get depth. You need depth in a speaker to actually make it make any noise and have any bass and do any of those good things as well. So most, I'm generalizing, most speakers and TVs are rubbish. So even a basic sound bar sounds better than what's coming out of the TV in most cases. Yeah, and that's probably where I'm at. I think I've got a soundbar that's better than my TV, but it's not as good as my surround sound. But we definitely recommend. And I do like that it doesn't have a remote. It's just plug and play in essence. I do get annoyed though when you get those really low sitting TVs that are designed to go with a soundbar, but you put a soundbar in front of it and you, you, you can't see the bottom of the picture, which infuriates me no end. I must confess though, I think I lucked out with the family friendliness of everything because I just ordered the Denon amp and the surround sound and... I didn't know how well it was all going to work and it it all just glued together really well and it's interesting taking some kef speakers a denon amp an lg tv a skybox a playstation you know and see your product here and it all just kind of worked you know which is where universal standards thinking of matter here you know just can just work if everybody adheres to the one standard you mentioned airplay though i've actually disabled airplay on my tv because I just didn't want the family using that one when they can use the AirPlay on the Apple TV, you know, because otherwise you're like, well, which family TV do I want? Do I want the family TV Apple TV or do I want the family TV LG? And so I actually have, have turned off a few of those things just because it's more, I just thought it was more chat on the network and could be more confusing. I think that's perfectly reasonable. Of course, the other thing my Sonos system gives me is I've got multi-room audio as well. So I've got a number of other Sonos speakers kicking around the house, mostly ones, although I have ordered, I'm expecting it tomorrow, one of the new Sonos 100 speakers as well. Ooh. 
So the Sonos One is the smallest, cheapest speaker they make. I get a 30% discount because I'm some sort of heritage customer of theirs because I've got Sonos 3s and 5s from back in the day. They are fairly simple. They sound quite good as a solo speaker. They sound terrific as a stereo pair, which is what we hear about Apple HomePod, HomePods as well. But I, I, I got to say, I listen to both and the Sonos, even as a single speaker, sounds better than my HomePod minis anyway. So I have one in almost every room at this point, a Sonos speaker. So I can have truly house-spanning sound. I think I'm going to decommission my HomePods, but before I do, I'm going to move them onto the other TV in sort of the back room here and try out the eARC with HomePods as, as extra speakers on a TV just to see what it's like as much as anything else. Yeah, I did try it out a long time ago, but it was quite immature at that point, but I believe it's got a lot better. So have you got an Era, Era 100 coming? Is that, that the one you've... Yeah, uh, ordered from Senos. Yes, so it's the 100, and it's actually a stereo speaker in a single speaker body, which I don't know how they've done that. It's, it's an awful lot to cram in there, but it does actually have proper stereo separation in the single speaker. Oh, interesting. I'm, I think I'm Sonos curious if you, you know, I'd like to go and have a play with some of it, and probably need to save up some money first. So it's a 199 pound speaker that I got for, like I say, I got a discount on it, so it was 179 delivered for me, which was okay. I thought I'd take a punt on it. If I like it, I'll, you know, I, I can make some stereo pairs and things like that around the place. What's really interesting about what Sonos have done this time is it's got microphones in it. You can have Amazon dingus on it as well if you want to do that. I've disabled that. I'm quite happy with Sonos's own voice control. It's robust enough that you can tell it to play a song from a service and set timers. So actually that's Siri replaced just with those two things for me as far as I'm concerned. The voice of it is, oh gosh, I forget the actor's name, but he was in Mandalorian. He was in Breaking Bad. He's been in all sorts of things. He's a terrific actor. He's in The Boys. He's got a lovely voice, very distinctive, who, who speaks back to you through your, your Sonos speaker system, so that's quite nice. Most of my ones, I've specified them without microphones, because I don't really need it in most things. In most cases, I'm going to go into the Sonos app and play music, or I'm going to wear play them. You said last week on this podcast, most of the time it's easier just to click and, and hit play on the thing, and it will just start playing over there. I find Sonos's implementation of AirPlay faster and more reliable than Apple's, which amuses me no ends. And I prefer to use their app to, to actually uh, iTunes. So... You know, definite pros and cons for me. I'll finish my thought here and I'll let you get a word in edgeways. The really interesting thing to me about this Sonos 100 speaker is it has a, you'll be able to buy a dongle for it where you can do line in and ethernet at the back of it as well if you want. So they're actually, go, and it's got standard Bluetooth 5. So if somebody else visits your house and they're not on the Apple ecosystem, they've got an Android phone, they can fire on it and they can play something through your, your Sonos speakers or have a line in, use it as a line in for a record player. About time, frankly. It's ridiculous to me that HomePods are so monofunction that you're stuck without any of these additional things. So I'm really impressed with Sonos for bringing this in. I love my HomePods, but sometimes I'm with you of like, well, hasn't just got a line in or something? You know, why can't I just hardwire it into my Mac or something? I don't get why why they've done it, if I'm honest. It's a shame they didn't give it that extra functionality. Now, I'm like I say, I'm Sonos curious, I think, because I used to have Sonos back in the day. I'm generally quite happy with my HomePods. They seem to be getting slowly more robust. But no, I am I am curious, but I'm not in the in a market for them at the moment. It's a good time to be curious. You can let the reviews of the 100s and the 300s come out and, and see what comes next, because the chances are I will go up through the range now. And 179 to £199 pounds for the entry level is not bad for home audio equipment. If you look at, if you were to go and buy a little Denon amp, stereo amp to put in various rooms of your house, by the time you add speakers and everything to it, you're talking 500 quid a throw. A home pod is 399 quid. So you could have two room audio for you know the same price as one home pod. 
that's quite a big yeah, deal. Yeah, no, I agree. And it should be, like you say, quite straightforward to use. And once you've shown the family how to use the Sonos app, or you could do AirPlay and stuff. I, I'm with you on it, I think. And I do like how Sonos have just carried on doing what they do. They just do good speakers. And they've just iterated on it. And they look nice, you know. That, you know, they are akin to the Apple aesthetic. I think if you put the Apple badge on it, you'd be like, oh yeah, it does look like an Apple product. So I'm there. I think they, they're they doing a good job and I do like that they're just sticking to their wheelhouse. Unlike we were talking Tesla earlier where they're, <laughs> they're doing a range of things. Sonos just do the one thing and they seem to do it very well. Yeah, I agree. Two other things, or one other thing that I like in one observation. The microphones on the Sonos 100 can be disabled with a switch on the back. I like that. It's never going to be listened to. Physical hardware switch to cut off the microphones. In this day and age, that is a genius idea. It is a genius idea. I think there's a temporarily disable it. You can mute the microphones with a software switch on top, or you can totally disable it with a hardware switch on the back. So nice. Yeah, uh, no, that, that's cool. I think in the privacy world we live in, that is a genius idea. Yeah, it's a good move. And then the other thing I wish they'd do is front speakers as well for my... So I've got the soundbar, great. Why can't I turn that into a centre channel and have two more Sonos ones as left and right speakers at the front? And then that would be a perfect setup. Yeah, I don't disagree with that statement. I'm surprised they haven't got there. Maybe that's coming as they're, you know, they're refreshing their line, as you just said. You know, they're, they're obviously moving to a slightly new design language and new generation. So I'd be interested to see where they go. It's probably quite hard to do. You know, it's quite a lot of audio slinging around wirelessly around your room. Yeah, true. I'm sure they can work it out, though. Well, apparently, and you, I don't know, you might notice this more than I do, you get a reasonable amount of lag sometimes with wireless speakers. I guess if you're if you're gaming on your big Kef speakers, then you're probably not going to get that lag. But I think how fast, you know, millisecond response times are on TVs for, for first-person shooters and car games and things like that. Trying to replicate that on a wireless speaker system is probably quite hard. Yeah, mine's all wired in for when I'm gaming. So, And it's wired in when I'm in the other room as well. So, so yeah, pro- probably not a big issue for me. We more have the home pods, just more is in the background for music in the kitchen or in my, in my shed down here. Fair enough. I'll report back on my uh, Sonos 100 next week. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to have a proper listen to it. Anything else in home cinema? Home cinema? No, no, I don't think. I think we've covered it. Obviously, family friendly was was a thing for both of us. We've actually got similar-ish setups in a way with the Denon amps. I mean, the Denon amps are fantastic. Whilst not cheap, I think they're actually very good. And I did debate whether to go for that one, and I'm glad I have actually because I've had it a couple of years now. And I'm not actually looking to make any real changes to my setup. And that's one thing. I'm glad I spent a little bit of money up front. I managed to get a deal when I bought bought the whole thing. It was actually, I actually had it delivered whilst the family and I had COVID. Because I thought, well, I'm not going anywhere for a week. Why don't I make some speaker cables up? Why don't I run, you know, wire everything in properly and get, and get it how I want it? And you know, what? I did it that once and I've barely changed it since, since I put it in. And like I said, not really looking to change anything about it. So I think it is worth getting the right getting the right setup just think about it have a little bit of room for expansion but obviously we've all got we've all got a budget but i'm very much enjoying the speakers and they sound fantastic so yeah i think that's what i would say on it think family friendly and think how how can you do it so that you don't have to change it frequently and i think actually you can just buy the tv and then you can just buy an amp or some speed you know and, and do it so you don't have to do it in a big bang which i think is is, is quite nice to do that sometimes if people want to spread the cost I agree with you 100%. You don't need to do this straight away. And the benefit when you finally get to a speaker system, and even if it's not a very good one, surround sound sounds great if you get the right movie. Watching your big Hollywood blockbusters, your Top Gun Mavericks and on all that kind of stuff, on a good TV with nice sound that's coming at you from all angles, is a terrific experience. 
Agreed. I love it. And I love it watching with the kids and stuff. And you kind of forget you've got surround sound, but I love it. And we certainly designed the room because it was in our extensions that we could have the TV on one wall and have a couch opposite it. So whilst it's not a big room, it's great for three, four people to, to watch a movie and really enjoy the sound. Brilliant. Moving on then. No listener question this week. So we can go straight on to app of the week, which is one I'm going to recommend. So this is an interesting one. I'm not 100% sold on it. I'm going to leave it to the listeners and maybe you, Chris, to sort of get a feel for what you think about it. So the app is called Artifact, and it's an AI with our AI kick last week. I thought that's an interesting thing to throw out there. News app from the people that wrote Instagram. So they no longer work for Meta. They've gone off and done their own thing, and this is meant to surface news stories that you're interested in. So I've been playing with this for, I don't know, about 10 days now, I think, at this point. Once it was, It's on Android and iOS, for once, so it's cross-platform, which is unusual for me. Like I say, I'm not sure how I feel about it. It's very American-centric. When you go in, and I had this problem with Flipboard as well, and you look for a channel of something you're interested in, say, MotoGP, in my case, it's really hard to limit it down to that kind of thing that you want to start getting news and that thing. And it is quite good at, it's spotted I quite like tech and car stories. I get quite a lot of tech and car stories. But I'd quite like a more general, I'm interested in this kind of news from the UK, from these sources or something like that, to sort of surface those stories. And what you want from something like this is the more unusual stories, not the mainstream stuff that you're going to get from anywhere else, like in my newsreader or on the mainstream news or something like that. So... It's interesting. I'd be curious to see if you had a go, how you found it, but it's worth highlighting that it's out there and it's worth a look. Yeah, so I hadn't heard of it. I actually installed it after I saw you put it in the show notes, but I've largely got the same feedback as you, US-centric. I wasn't sure whether the Instagram people was a plus or a minus for me, but then I thought, actually, if you think back to what Instagram was before Meta bought it, that was definitely a plus in my view. So I've installed it. I thought it was US-centric. I also got a lot of errors it said retry when i was first logged into the home page but you know what i'm going to give it a go but i think like you i remain a little skeptical i must confess i do use apple news quite frequently just to see a general smattering of what's going on in the world i do read the the ft the bbc and a bit of like i say apple news just to you know top me out of what what am i missing on the bbc and the ft so yeah i'm curious to see where they go with it and i get it's probably early doors and their key market is america but what will that look like as they expand? I don't know. So yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see where they go with it. But I thought it looked a good app from the, from the offset. Yeah, I'd agree with you. It's 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 quite it's quite slick. It looks quite well put together. So I'm I'm giving it time. I'm not jumping to conclusions about it. No, fair enough. Well, let, let's see how we get on with it, and we can report back. Thing of the week. Thing of the week. So this week I've gone for a book again, and this was a book I mentioned last year. I asked for this for my birthday. My family dutifully bought, bought me a book that I wanted to read. I finally read it all. Actually, I read it very quickly in the end. So I am talking about the build. It's just called Build, and it's by a Tony Fidel, who was, they called him the, you know, the daddy of the iPod. He also was there when they did the first iPhone at Apple, and he then went on and set up Nest and created the Nest Learning Thermostat, which was a smart thermostat. I know before we had what we have today where lots of thermostats do it, and he set up Nest and then ultimately sold it to Google for three billion dollars and ultimately then left Google because I don't think he enjoyed the culture at Google and has then gone on to various other things. The book was for me a very enjoyable 380 pages, actually very quick to read, really well done for anybody that's ever worked at a corporate company in line management position. It's a really good read and i found it very educational and so that that is my thing of the week that i would recommend it's i think it's available in audible i've like i say read the read the book but but would recommend and there were a couple of insights about 
things they did at Apple. Not a huge amount, a little bit about being consumed by Google and then Google trying to sell them and spit them back out again and and just all the inner wranglings of Google setting up Alphabet that nobody knew it was coming and it you know, it was very last minute and rushed and, and things like that. So a couple of little tidbits if you're interested in tech, but just a great book by somebody that has led small teams, big teams and worked for some massive organizations. So a thumbs up for me. Sounds good. I will have a look for it, I think. I actually meant to give you a little bit of follow-up. I listened to that album, yours, The Lathams. It was perfectly harmless music. I think that's a fair review. <laughs> that's it's in- inoffensive. Inoffensive background music, I think, is maybe yeah. the nicest thing. I, 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 I didn't I'm, hate I'm all right with that. I didn't hate it. I'm not, I, I'm not rushing to play it again, but a nice little bit, nice recommendation, Chris. I think it's quite nice to do these sort of, do a book, do a CD, do something, you know, do a CD, do some tracks. It's interesting. Yeah, I think you just showed your age there. <laughs> you didn't say tape, though. <laughs> I didn't say tape. I didn't say tape. But I, I guess for me, though, I learned when music works is when my kids asked to play it again in the car or something. I was in the, got in the car with them at the weekend and my eldest son, he's 11, goes, Dad, can you put the Stone Roses on again? I was like, yes, I've achieved, I, I've achieved something here. I've got them into some good music. Yeah, you're a cool dad. I'm not sure I'm a cool dad. I've, I've just got them liking, hopefully, to music that I enjoy. Well... My youngest, I've managed to send her on some sort of goth kick. She likes the Sisters of Mercy. She likes the Cure. She likes all that kind of stuff, as well as modern things too. But I felt quite proud of that. It's it's always nice, isn't it, when you catch your kids unprompted listening to stuff you like or watching something you enjoy. I, I think it's always nice to know you've you've hopefully had a positive impact on them. But it's also just trying to broaden their horizons a bit so that when they grow up and leave they know what star wars is. They've heard of say I don't know Oasis or something or the Beatles. You know, they're they're not going out into the world completely you know tone deaf to to popular culture even if it is of a different generation very much so i think we can call that show job done thank you rod that was good and if anybody wants to get into contact we're on mastodon rod is at g5 maniac at mastodon.scott i am at underscore cjp at mastodon.social and i actually posted for my first time this week on mastodon which is a novelty for me and you can also email us at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rob.